Awesome. Good morning, everyone. My name is Blair. I'm the Community Engagement Manager for Prison Yoga Project, and we are here on Healing Harm, which is an opportunity where we bring transformative justice leaders to speak about the world and its current state. Uh, we have Michelle Cassandra Johnson with us this morning. We are so excited to have her. She's the author of, I think, three books now. Uh, I think there's a third book that she just wrote that I saw that's available for pre-release. And so we're so excited to talk about all of her work um, and really her, her impact on the yoga world and the social justice world today as well. So thank you, Michelle, so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I'll do a formal reading of Michelle's bio as well. Michelle Cassandra Johnson is an activist, social justice warrior, author, anti-racism consultant and trainer, intuitive healer, and yoga teacher and practitioner. Michelle's work centers on healing from individual and collective trauma, coming back into wholeness and aligning the mind, body, spirit, and heart. Michelle published Skill in Action, Radicalizing Your Yoga Practice to Create a Just World in 2017, and her newest book, Finding Refuge, Heartwork for Healing Collective Grief, was published by Shambhala Publications in 2021. She teaches workshops in yoga studios and community spaces nationwide and is on the facility of Off the Mat Into the World. This is one of my favorite pieces that was from Michelle's website, and I wanted to bring this into the space as well. Michelle leads courageously from the heart with compassion and a commitment to address the heartbreak dominant culture causes for many because of the harm it creates. Thank you so much for being here with us, Michelle. Thank you. And will you lead us in a centering opportunity? Absolutely. So I will invite folks to find a way to be in your body. And you might decide you want to sit or move for the centering or stand, but find a way to be in your body. Your eyes can be open, closed, or soft gaze on the ground in front. So you can find a focal point in your space that is grounding. Allow your hands to rest wherever feels most comfortable, perhaps on your knees, the palms face up or down. And we'll take a moment to come into this space together. I invite you to bring your awareness and attention to the breath. Begin to feel your inhales and exhales. And as you bring your awareness to the breath, I invite you to note the quality of the breath. How might you describe your inhales and exhales? What descriptors might you use to share about the way your body is breathing at this time?
And now I invite you to deepen your breath and your body to settle into your space a little more. And as you settle into your space and this space, take a moment to notice what is present. As you begin to connect with your inner world, your inner landscape, and the outer world, what is present? As you tune in to your inner world, the outer world, the quality of the breath, you might notice different physical sensations. You might notice emotions moving through. You might notice the thoughts floating through the mind. And I invite you to notice your spirit, however you think of spirit, to check in and ask yourself, how is my spirit? How is my spirit feeling at this time. And I invite you to check in with your heart. How is your heart at this time? What is moving through your heart space as your heart beats? Now I invite you to bring your awareness back to the breath, to take some time here to let your body breathe. Take some time to let your body breathe.
And if there is some intention you would like to set for our time together for your day or weekend or this time, I invite you to set your intention now. And I invite you to bring a prayer or wish into your awareness, focused on our collective healing, and in your mind's eye to uplift your prayer or wish for our collective healing. And take three deep inhales and exhales here. And then as you feel ready, continue to breathe and come back into your space, gently blinking open your eyes if they're closed, taking a moment to reconnect and reorient in your space. And welcome back. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Already got me weepy. <laughs> it's been a little bit of the theme for the week. Um, I just really wanted to speak to when you offered for us to connect to spirit or whatever our understanding of relationship to spirit is. Um, I just really feel honored to be in this position within this community to be able to speak with you directly and to bring this conversation to our audience. Um, So just thank you for being here and thank you to the community um, for supporting me uh, in this leadership role. Um, It really is an honor. So I just wanted to speak to that. Thank you. Um, And we usually start these conversations with the same question. What is your first memory of yoga? Thank you, Blair. It's an honor to be here. And um, before I answer your, your question, I will say, um, the, I'll do a land acknowledgement. So as Blair said, my name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is the ancestral land of the Cherwa, the Tutelo, the Saponi, the Okanichi, the Cherokee, the Catawba, and many other tribes. Um, and I'll also just locate that it's myself in saying that um, it's very windy and rainy here today because of the um, hurricane. And it's making me think about 
when I woke up this morning, I was like, oh, I feel this storm in my body in a way. And it's just, um, which was interesting. And in meditation earlier, I thought about the storm connected with it. Um, and it's massive. And so I'm, I'm really present to the stormy times we're in, not just sort of physically with the natural world and our influence on the natural world and the storms that we have, we have created, um, but also the stormy time we're trying to live through. Um, and it, it is making me think about this conversation and how to engage our skills so we can respond to the various storms that are present and that are brewing um, and the aftermath of storms and what does recovery look like. So I'll just offer that because I'm very present to it at this time. And my first, um, this is an interesting question about my first memory of yoga because of how I understand yoga um, or what I understand that it is. Um, so often I'll say my sort of formal introduction to yoga was um, when I started practicing with a teacher who introduced it as a spiritual path. Um, but prior to that, I had practiced what folks were, they were calling it yoga. And it was mainly asana and they weren't even calling it asana, but it was looking back, reflecting back. That's what we were we were moving through different postures, but it was void of, of a spiritual practice. It wasn't talked about as, as um, connected, something that is connected to or derived from spirit. And the other way that I answer this question is to say that I think yoga is a way of living. And so, you know, I've been on a path of um, working toward creating conditions for justice and also contemplating why we suffer so deeply and also looking at the ways in which myself included I and we contribute to the suffering on this planet, our own and others. I think I've had questions about suffering since I was a child. And so to me, that speaks to um, what yoga asks us to look at, which is why do we suffer and how can we get free right, from um, the suffering and how can we mitigate and decrease the suffering? So I, I won't say that age at age four, I was a yoga practitioner because no one was using that language around me. And, and in my home, we weren't calling that yoga, like these sort of inquiries about suffering and why the world was the way it was. My mom wasn't saying, well, that's yoga, right? Um, you're, you're questioning this and, and what's in the way of our liberation. And I do believe that is connected to yoga. And so I think I've been practicing or working toward this path of um, enlightenment, of, of deep study, self-study, and inviting others to be in a process and practice of collective study so that we can be free. I think I've been in, on this path for a long time, but, you know, first started practicing what many of us call yoga in um, college and then later in graduate school. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love... I feel like I have heard so many speak, people speak of childhood and this seed that was planted um, or an opening, right? And so this childhood awe or wonder um, and really able to, how we're able to see the world maybe with less conditioning from this open space and really the curiosity to continue to ask why. Why is it like this? So thank you. I was really curious. 
So you were a social worker for a long time. Will you talk to us about your social work journey um, and what and your transition maybe out of social work? Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I want to speak to something you named about curiosity and how um, um, children sort of often how they see the world and also are able to speak about it in a way that is conditioned out of us as we grow by systems, in particular the educational system. Like we're not supposed to ask questions. We're absorbing information and supposed to regurgitate that back, but not actually integrating the information and not, I'm going to generalize, many of us may not have been in an educational system that allowed us to, or encouraged us to question um, and to be curious. So that feels like it's on purpose. And I, it just resonated what you said about, about children. And I'll also say that I, I wrote about this in Skill in Action. Um, I feel like the way I came into the world which was, you know, I couldn't breathe when I came into the world. And only later did that make sense why I was then on the path of yoga and seeking breath, which feels like life and liberation. I feel like that has everything to do with why um, I would ask questions about suffering along with my family system and, and just what I was watching and sort of witnessing in the, in the world and how sensitive I was as a child and sensitive I am as a, as a human on the planet and just feel things deeply. Um, so I wanted to, to add that and offer that I, um, growing up, my mother, she was a special education teacher. Her name is Clara and she was a special education teacher for 32 years. And somewhere along the path, uh, I mean, I, I essentially sort of grew up in her classroom in the sense of after school, I would end up in her classroom. I wasn't always in the same school where she taught, but I would end up take the bus to her classroom. And during summer, she would um, work summer school or summer programs. Um, and I would help her in those programs. And at one point she said, don't be a teacher, even though she would have supported me if I had become a teacher. Um, and she was a wonderful teacher um, and is a, a beautiful human. But she was like, don't, don't go that path. And I was like, okay, well then if I'm not going to be a teacher, I know I'm going to do something that is in the realm of um, supporting folks, right? And um, being of service. I understood that because she taught me to do that. And I was in um, college and knew I wanted to go to graduate school, but was like, do I want to go to school for psychology? Do I want to go to school for social work? And somebody said to me, one of my best friends, um, her mother said, you should be a social worker. And she wasn't like telling me what my path needed to be, but it was a moment where she was offering something that I hadn't thought of that really resonated. And I was like, oh, I don't know much about social workers other than what's been presented to me on TV and, and you know, it, through through the educational system about social workers. I don't know much about what they do and did some research and it ended up going to grad school at UNC Chapel Hill for social work. and. Um, feel like it makes so much sense that I ended up on that path because social work is deeply rooted in social justice. That is where it comes from. And um, in so many ways, it feels like it's connected to liberation. Um, it's sort of connected to removing obstacles, what's, what's in our way individually and collectively. And there are different um, 
you know, paths within the field of social work. So there's a lot you can do and you can work with many different people individually in groups. You can work with systems to dismantle the things that are in the way of our liberation that are embedded within systems and institutions. And so it just, um, it, it, it really fit like my energy and essence and, and what I'm up to on the planet. And I'm actually still licensed as a social worker, although I'm not practicing as one now. And I practiced as a social worker for a long time in nonprofits and institutions, and then in private practice and worked a lot with, within systems to disrupt um, patterns that were toxic, but also with individuals who were moving through trauma, which is actually what led me to become a yoga teacher or go through teacher training was that awareness of, of um, somatic practice, although it wasn't talked about as much then when I was um, thinking about embodiment as it is now. Um, and, you know, I, I ended up going through yoga training so that I could sort of bring the practices into my social work practice to actually heal um, the body and the whole self uh, versus just talking about it um, because that felt limiting to me. And I think bringing yoga in and mindfulness really expanded people's ability to, to heal. Um, and so what shifted though, is that in, in 2017, I moved to Portland, Oregon for a year. I was going through a lot of transition and I moved there to work in an organization um, who's focused on, on racial justice and dismantling racism work, which I had been doing for a long time prior to moving to Portland. And I knew I wasn't going to be in Portland for long. Um, I felt that in my spirit. And I also was like, I, I'm going to stay licensed in North Carolina. I think I kind of knew I was going to come back to North Carolina. And I... Um, I just I decided to work in this agency or this organization full time, which meant that I had to close my practice when I left North Carolina. And so I stayed licensed in case I will ever go back to that work, although it feels like what I'm doing now is connected to social work very much so. It's just a different way of doing it. I'm just not working with clients individually in the same way. Um, and I also feel like, you know, I, I graduated grad school in 98 and became a clinical social worker in 2001. And so I've, I have done it for a long, long time. And there was something about um, working with insurance companies and working with other systems that felt like they were not necessarily in service of the clients, the people I was working with that just felt depleting. And so after years of that, I was like, I don't want to deal with another insurance company ever to have to fight to get um, services for folks who, who want support. Um, so that definitely influenced my decision to not open a practice when I moved to Portland. And then when I moved back to North Carolina, but I still very much feel like a social worker um, at heart. Yeah. Just um, and thank you for sharing your story and your journey. Um, I feel like we have a lot of social workers or people that work within um, similar systems within our community. Um, yeah, and seeing that you can still serve people in the same way without um, other barriers and restrictions. So will you tell us about the transition from social work? I know that you had mentioned um, wanting to actually move 
towards working with the body. Uh, will you tell us the story from working, um, from transitioning from social work into more of uh, yoga and leadership within yoga practices? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it all, it's so intertwined um, because of, I remember the moment and I wrote about this in skill in action when I was talking to a client um, in my private practice and I was talking about mindfulness and meditation, but I wasn't leading her through it. And it didn't, there was just a moment of like witnessing myself and clarity of, you know, I could have led a meditation. I was practicing yoga, but I was like, you, you want to go learn more about the philosophy of this practice and you want to learn more and sort of um, invest yourself in um, training and and study about how this practice has been set up for healing. And so, so you can't sit here. I just remember this moment of like, you can't sit here and and talk about healing the body without actually, and the mind and the heart without actually engaging that and leading someone through a practice. Um, and I also understood at that point when I had that moment of clarity, how yoga had helped heal me as well. And, and healing isn't a, it's an ongoing process in my experience. And when I went through yoga teacher training, what happened is that I, because I was already a dismantling racism trainer, I was a social worker, went in with those lenses. I'm a black person in America, have this lived experience of, of what that means and navigating a, a um, white supremacy culture and, and dominant culture and dominant systems that condition us and cause so much harm. I went in with all of that. And then I learned this philosophy about um, liberation, about becoming the witness and the seer, about the different elements of who we are, about what our true nature is. Um, and a question I left my first training with was, how do we actually apply this philosophy to the way we move in the world, which was the spark for skill in action. It was the like, okay, I'm working in all of these ways to disrupt injustice through my private practice, through advocating for my clients, through dismantling racism work, through community work I was engaged in. I was, I was doing all of that and then learning this philosophy that felt like a pathway to freedom. And I, and reflected back to me within the industry of yoga and wellness, it, I, I didn't see, and it may have been who I was in relationship with, but I also think it was the industry, right? I didn't see many people talking about the application of the eight limb path. I saw people talking about the application of asana for individuals. Um, and that just didn't make any sense. And so that was what led me to this place of, um, eventually writing skill in action, but prior to that, creating some training opportunities for exploring the intersection of justice and yoga, like what's happening in our cultural context at this time. And how do we apply this path or ask this path questions about how we can respond to what we're moving through right now? And how do we, and social work really lends itself to this too. How do we show up skillfully and, and mindfully? How do we want to respond um, from a centered grounded place um, how can we come back home to ourselves when our nervous systems are so disrupted by what's happening? I and mean, all of this feels so intertwined with social work and 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 social justice. So it doesn't feel like a separation to me. Like it feels like a an evolution of my own path and practice to think more about um, the reality that we are in bodies moving on the planet and that we are having an experience in these bodies based on the identities we embody, which are 
many of which are constructed, and that we're something yoga says much um, that's beyond the body. Um, and, and yoga really asks us to hold both of those things, right? In the meditation, we are spirit and we are in physical bodies. And what does it mean to respond to the current reality we're in and understand we're part of a bigger reality? Um, so that's, I think that's just the evolution of my, my path. And I think it really lends to the place that you hold within the yoga community is that you have the decades of experience being a social worker and how you do inherently understand that social justice and yoga are intertwined, uh, right? Where, where we are, we practice for the liberation of all beings. But what does that look like in action? What are the steps? What does that look like in the world that we're in? Not mm-hmm. really a question yet for that, but just speaking and responding. Um, I, will you, where do I want to go with this? Okay. So talking about skill and action, one piece that I really loved that you started us all on the same page, at least in the expanded edition, I didn't read your mm-hmm. edition, but you were like, okay, we're going to talk about the definitions of everything that we're going to talk about so that we have a, a, a mutual understanding of, of a context and a framework. And so I really loved that you started off with that. Um, I felt like it was a really trauma-informed way of starting a book as well. Um, and so I just, I, I really loved that piece. Um, but to, to go on that further, um, will you talk to us about your understanding and definition of collective liberation? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that what you're referencing in Skill in Action is also in Finding Refuge is also in my next book, We Heal Together. Um, and it's something I learned shared language from my time as a, and I'm still a dismantling racism trainer, but when I entered into that practice and, and work with a collective of trainers, we would spend time with groups. We would train creating that shared language because we understood that we needed to have some shared understanding of where we were, of what we meant when we said different words and use different terms. If in fact, we were going to strategize to um, dismantle in that case racism, and if we are going to strategize to disrupt injustice um, and engage the path of yoga to disrupt injustice, then we need some shared understanding. So it, it, I appreciate what you said about it having felt trauma informed to have that in there because it's just sort of level setting from the beginning versus a glossary in the back of the book. Um, and it's also it shares a lot about my philosophy and who I am, and like this is how I'm showing up for this conversation and this exploration. And, you know, the, I'm trying to think about whether or not my definition of collective liberation has shifted. I think it is probably different in this next book. And that makes sense because I'm, I am um, evolving as a human and trying to respond to the times in which we find ourselves now and thinking about and learning about liberation every minute of every day. I think about collective liberation as, um, a few different ways. One that's coming to mind and I've had my head in like multiple translations of yoga sutras because I'm actually working on another book right now about the kleshas. So I've been, I've been rereading about Purusha and Prakriti about pure consciousness and about matter and nature and um, thinking about collective and, and the kleshas collective liberation as connected to an awareness of our pure consciousness that we are spirit 
that we are spiritual beings, that we are interconnected, that we are intertwined, that we are interdependent. All of these things feel like they're they're connected to um, us being able to realize collective liberation. And and the other thing that feels connected to collective liberation is that nothing I do is um, separate from any other being or anything that has ever been or will be. I'm very clear about that. I don't always know what that means in the moment, but I'm clear. I'm conscious of that fact. Like everything I do affects something else in this, in the cosmos and often affects other people and beings in the natural world. Um, and again, everything that has been and everything that will be. And that awareness and consciousness of how I affect everything and, and am affected by everyone and everything and everyone's actions and my own actions in my life, I think um, allows me to be more mindful about the actions I take. So it, it doesn't always stop me from contributing to the suffering on the planet because I'm human and I'm, I have patterns and um, I like things to be convenient and easy at times. Right. And, and often that causes harm because of systems like capitalism, right. Um, because of systems like colonialism, because of um things like appropriation, right? Cultural appropriation. So I'm aware that I'm in this human body taking these actions that do not always, are not always in service of our collective liberation, but the consciousness that my actions affect everyone and everything and that I am affected by everyone and everything allows me to slow down enough to ask myself how I want to act and what I want to do in a particular moment and whom, what are the unintended consequences of this action I might take what is my intention around this action? This all feels like yoga, right? Asking what our intention is, what the purpose is, thinking about the outcome, um, although we may not always be attached to the results of the outcome. Um, and, and that to me feels like a, when we slow down enough to, to, to understand how interconnected we are and that we are part of the ecosystem, um, I feel like we can create conditions for collective liberation through that practice and process of asking how, how will this affect others into the future, not just in the present moment, right? Or how have I been affected by history and the impact of that? So that feels connected to collective liberation. And um, I also feel like finally being of service feels um, like it's part of what creates a space for us to be free or this this experience or reality of collective liberation, that everything in yoga teaches this to us, but there are other things that teach us this, like justice and what it means, that we need to actually be in service of something bigger than ourselves. Otherwise, what are we doing? Like, if I feel like I exist in, a, in isolation um, and that I, that I just need to think about myself and what I need, that's going to cause more suffering. I'm clear about that, too. So, so what does it mean to really live a life of service? And I don't mean to suggest I do this perfectly. I don't. I'm learning about it all the time. Um, and I am very driven by um, the heart work of being of service to others and, and sort of asking what that looks like, especially asking folks who are less proximal to power than I might be based on the identities I embody. Like, how can I be of service? Not how can I save you? How can I be of service? Um, and, and in service of what, for what is a question I'll ask. So that's not a, the definition that's in skill and action, but it is a, 
these, those are all the things I think about when I think about collective liberation. Thank you. There's so many points that I want to pull out from how you just responded and in so many of the conversations that we talk about in prison yoga project. Um, I think the first one, um, that felt really potent in this moment, I think of, of overwhelm. Um, you talked about realizing collective liberation, right? That like remembering that it is possible and that is what we're working towards. So I just wanted to pull that out. Um, that just felt really potent in our work. Um, yeah, because sometimes it just seems, um, when we look at the outside world and dominant culture, um, really just hatred seems that it's this barrier, one barrier to collective liberation. Um, and so I think just having that seed of remembrance and realizing that it's possible feels important. Um, and then, uh, I don't know if it necessarily leads to a question, but we talk about this a lot. Um, you know, when we work with incarcerated populations or system impacted people or families and communities, um, our intention versus our impact is so important. And so we're not coming in. We have to realize as facilitators or even showing up to do this work that we are not rescuing. We're not trying to triangulate anyone. So will you talk about, and I know you talk about it a lot in skill and action, but our, the, even the concept of our intention versus our impact. Mm-hmm. I um, um, appreciate what you said about the sort of the seed of, of collective liberation and remembering that. And what I'll offer is I'm, I feel aware of the fact that my ancestors and many people talk about this dreamt of this moment where I'd be in conversation with you and, and in collaboration in this way with the prison yoga project, right. For as an example, and that we're in this conversation, the spirit of collective liberation. And, and um, I, I say that because someone has like planted the seed. Many people have and have, um, nurtured the seed and have watered it. And so I feel like even though I am aware of a lot of, and feel, I woke up feeling the storm in my body, right? Feel the suffering on the planet, my own and others, not all of it, because I don't understand it all, but um, I'm, I'm present to it. Even though there's suffering, so that seed, that plant, that um, this experience of collective liberation is growing. It's, I'm not waiting for it to happen. We're in the process of it, even if we can't see it is what I believe. And sometimes I can't see it, but I just know it's there. And so, and that may be a, like, I don't even think that's actually for me connected to hope. I think that is like, there are multiple realities happening at this time and, and suffering is, is one of the realities that we are experiencing. And also people have for, so long dreamt of this experience of freedom and put conditions in place for us to be um, free, even though we're not fully free. So I guess I'm inviting people to hold multiple, which I do all the time, multiple truths at the same time. We're not going to like arrive to collective liberation. Let's assume it's things are like happening that we can't see or touch or feel. 
And some things we can see or touch or feel and we're manifesting, but things are happening under the surface in the spirit of collective liberation as we encounter and face the suffering that is present. So I want to name that. And um, intent and impact is has been a essential part of my teaching and work um, and experience of being a human and is really about, to your point, that our we can hold positive intentions, but they don't always mean um, a positive or manifest a positive impact. And this really connects with what I said about saving and what you said, and it requires some self-awareness so that we understand our positionality and we, we understand that there are things we don't know. I'm, I'm including myself in this. So I have a limited perspective based on my lived experience and the identities I embody, even though, as I said earlier, I am spirit. So there's some, there's something beyond this too. I'm aware of that part, but I am limited in my understanding of how everything works and everyone's experience, which means that at times I might um, have an intention of creating a healing space. But if I have not asked the question about what healing looks like for different people, then I might actually cause more harm instead of create healing in a space, for example. Um, If someone assumes that they know what I need without being in relationship with me or folks like me or asking me, it's likely the impact of their actions, even if their intentions were positive, could cause harm to me. Because um, there's this way that dominant culture it does a lot of things, as I often say, but one of the things it does is sort of generalizes experience and, and says, we all need, we all need the same things, but it also says we don't all deserve the same things. It does that too, but it'll say healing looks, wellness does this. Healing looks like this. Wellness looks like this. Liberation looks like this. And then we act accordingly to that. Meanwhile, we're all having different experiences because of our identities that dominant culture has constructed for us. And and how we're trying to navigate the world, right? Based on our proximity to power. So I think it's really skillful to understand that intentions do not equal the impact or outcome. And what feels tied to this too, is that if we're more proximal to power, I don't mean personal power, I mean institutional and and social power. If we're more proximal to power, often there's conditioning around being good and being right. Um, so I had good intentions as if that's enough. And it's it's just not. Um, and I think part of our practice, spiritual practice, is um, at least for me has been, yes, I am a human on the planet who tries to do good things and I still cause harm. And um, um, and and suffering. And sometimes I do that unconsciously. And sometimes I just make a decision and I'm conscious that it could cause harm. But I'm like a a person on the planet trying to be of service. Both are true. And so I just hold that within myself. And that's not, I'm not letting myself off the hook. Just having that awareness is one thing, but then like figuring out how to shift so that I'm decreasing the suffering, right, is another thing, which is part of what I'm in practice of. So I I just want to invite people. It's not about our being good or bad or we, we, as my dismantling racism colleagues would say, like, we're good and we're bad and we're things between that, right? And people get really caught up in the intentions such that they cannot look at the impact. 
and can't actually broaden their perspective to understand um, that people may be having a different experience than them. Thank you. And we talk about this, you know, being uh, a yoga facilitator, right? So understanding the power that you do hold leading a group, right? So um, at least within our framework too, of working within um, facilities, um, prisons or jails, um, or something similar, um, being tra- as trauma informed as possible, right? So offering autonomy in someone's class, um, but really seeing the power we hold while working with a group through movement. Um, and that is to say that, you know, maybe you come in with a class and your intention for the class um, and that affects. If I haven't, if I am attached to the outcome, I'm not aware of people's experience within the class. So I'm also hearing um, attachment to outcome with this uh, impact and intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, people have worked with me before or been in a space with me um, have he- often heard me say like, yeah, I have an agenda for this, but I'm not attached to it because we're like dynamic and in real time with one another. and. Um, and certainly I've experienced being led by people who seem to be attached to their outcome for, for many reasons. Like maybe they just started teaching and they have an agenda and they want to make sure they say all the cute, like there are a hundred reasons why people might be attached. I'm not actually judging that. And I think that we want to be more discerning and to actually be skillful. We have to, um, to be set up to meet the moment and meet people where they are in the moment. And if I'm so attached to, to the agenda I have or the class outline that I have or the prompts for the facilitation that I'm leading, then I get lost in that. And, and I'm not as present to the experience I'm having in real time, which yoga calls us into being present to the moment and the experience. So it, and that can cause harm to your point the the intention then may not match the impact. And so there, and I mean, there's, I mean, the Bhagavad Gita talk, there's just so many yoga philosophy talks about this so much, the release of our attachment to outcomes or the fruits of our labor, because we may not see what they are. And if we're caught up in that, then we're not in the process of actually creating what needs to be created or manifesting what needs to, to manifest. Um, so it does feel connected to intent impact in the way you named. So, I mean, I know I have at least a hundred more questions I would love to ask you, but I also want to give our community an opportunity to, um, but this is, this is something that I'm really interested in hearing your perspective on. Um, and you might talk about it in your, um, one of your new books about collective grief, but I personally feel like we might be in a little bit of a time where we're not wanting to look at the next two years ahead, right? With the presidential election coming um, and everything else happening in the world. I love in Skill in Action, you talk about um, staying with the wave and not turning away. 
Um, so I'm, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on um, when we're faced with overwhelm, really of overwhelm of the world, um, when it, and when it really does seem impossible. So I really loved how earlier you pointed to that, like we are, we are already on the path of collective liberation, um, but maybe just speaking to this current moment of, of this storm. Um, and any practices or insight that you would be willing to offer or share? Yeah, I have thought a lot about this. Um, as more people in spaces I'm, I've been facilitating or holding have named their overwhelm, and as I've just seen it show up um, for different people from their different social locations or identities, and then we're in mixed space and people are expressing their overwhelm, and sharing what they're holding and how it feels different than someone else in this space. Um, but also how we're having this collective experience of, of trauma, of overwhelm, of grief, um, of not just present trauma, things that are happening today or things we might anticipate in the future, but trauma that's um, been stirred up and is from the past that has been brought into the present because of what is playing out and unfolding now. And um, this this sort of answer sort of response to your question feels connected to multiple truths because um, there is a way for me at this time in my life and this time on the planet where I want to stay, and this is my practice, want to stay peaceful and in harmony and aligned and balanced. And in fact, yesterday something happened and I was like, this is not, I say this, all the time. This is not going to disturb my peace. And I don't actually mean that from an ego place, like I'm the only person who gets to experience peace, but it's a strategy to stay um, grounded and centered in moments where there's something that's disrupting me. Um, and I am deeply disrupted by everything that's going on. And so um, I feel like we need to, and I'm overwhelmed by what's happening and I'm overwhelmed by what is going to happen, what I anticipate, not that I know, um, but what I feel in my body. Um, I don't think this is going to, I think we are going to experience ease at times. And I think that we're in a, we are in a, um, we're in a storm is an understatement for what we're in right now. I mean, there's a hurricane, like maybe there's a, like, is it a, you not like, what are we experiencing? It feels massive and intense and um, uncertain. Um, and I would invite people to attend to their overwhelm when they when they notice it or to actually just assume you're overwhelmed because our nervous systems are overwhelmed and the collective nervous systems overwhelmed to just assume that you are on some level experiencing overwhelm and grief and anxiety and PTSD all the things that have come from the past few years and whatever happened prior to that just assume that's present um and if this resonates with folks for me, this is, a, I've never experienced this kind of, I'm 47. I've never had an experience like the one I've had over the last few years with COVID, with unrest, with isolation, with how do we reconnect? These are new experiences in this incarnation. So if that feels resonant for other people, assume this is in some ways a new experience, even though the patterns are old. Mm. 
many of the patterns are old and what's being revealed was under the surface the whole time. And it's just been unearthed. And now we're like reckoning and wrangling and meeting it. And so with those assumptions, like you're, you're feeling overwhelmed, PTSD, anxiety, all that, some of the parts of what you may be experiencing at this time, unless you've experienced these things before in this way, it's new. And then um, what I ask myself a lot, what might my practice look like to meet this moment that is new that I'm unsure about and I don't know what to do, right? Like, is it sitting on the cushion? Is it a walking meditation? Is it prayer? Is it calling on the ancestors? Is it working with the elements? Is it connecting in community? Is it making space to grieve? Is it writing about my grief? Is it acknowledging my heartbreak? Is it doing some deep work with the heart? Is it pranayama? I mean, the path has what we actually need to meet the moment and be present to the moment. And as it teaches us, we actually need to practice all of, all of those things. But I'm inviting people to think about what practice at this time is actually going to help you navigate this moment while you attend to your overwhelm and your grief instead of bypassing your overwhelm and grief. Um, and to I'm reminding us that that our natural state as yoga has taught us is one of peace and harmony and connection and interconnectedness. And so how do we remember that in the middle of the storm we're moving through? And so for me, as I said, it's saying, I'm not like, I'm going to maintain my peace, which again means I'm going to be centered as I respond to cleaning up whatever is happening right now, or to meeting whatever is happening right now, or to responding to this person who is speaking to me in a manner that, that is disrespectful. Like, how do I keep my peace? and respond. Um, and I will just name that I, uh, five years ago, I wasn't saying I'm not going to let my peace be disturbed. So something happened with my practice and the moment and what it was calling for that allowed me to be in a deep practice of like, there is part of me that is always peaceful and in balance. Um, in an imbalanced world, Right. And in, in a world that doesn't feel peaceful, that isn't, I mean, in so many ways. Um, so I'll just, there was an evolution of, of practice and experience that led me to that place. And I don't know if I'll be in the place tomorrow where I can say, I'm not going to let my peace be disturbed. Who knows? Maybe I'll be completely overwhelmed. But I think acknowledging the truth of, of the overwhelm instead of trying to bypass it is key. And then figuring out which part of this path at this moment in time is going to help me navigate the moment. Thank you. Um, and the, 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 the mess piece really spoke to me as well. Um, I had a, a moment recently. I just read um, Jeanette, I, Jeanette McCurdy, I think is her name. She wrote a book, um, I'm Glad My Mom Died. And it's an incredible piece that I really think talks about um, the fawn response to trauma. Um, she just had a really abusive mother um, and a lot of other intergenerational trauma. You, you see so much trauma happening in the story that she has put out. And you can see the, the healing that she's done to be able to speak to this also with like humor and understanding and compassion also for her mom. And, and you see it shift throughout the book. Um, and I've talked to my coworkers about it a lot. But anyway, while reading the book, I really just was feeling um, the messiness of our world and the messiness of, of families. Um, and that even is just a point of overwhelm. 
right? You're like, okay, I'm busy cleaning up my messes, whether I did it yesterday or a decade ago. And then having, and you're like, and then other people are so messy and they're so messy. They don't even have the awareness of the messes that they create. Um, I don't really know if I have a question or I think that just might be a response, but, um, sometimes seeing the messiness and the unawareness does make me want to isolate. I see that in myself of being like, I'm, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. And so I think then coming back to what I see as a responsibility of being on this path of vows that I've taken to support the liberation of all beings. Um, and maybe that's just a sign for me to come back and uh, be with grief and overwhelm. Um, but I just recognize that in myself of, of wanting to isolate when I see messiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a skill that I've used or strategy is to, so there's a difference in boundary setting and isolating as if we're not in connection with other beings. Mm. Right. And boundary setting is actually skillful at times. We can maintain, we can understand I'm still in connection with you, but I'm actually not going to relate to you in this way, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But I see your humanity. I see you're struggling and I'm, I'm going to go and, and take care of myself in this way. So there's that piece. And then there's also, um, I remember that, you know, sometimes I am as, I am as messy as the next person. I've done some work. Um, and I've, I have worked to not, um, throw my mess on other people. And the planet. And I'm still a work in progress in that way. And so sometimes remembering that helps me have compassion, even as I'm setting a boundary. Particularly with family, you're right. It's it's just, I think it's unique. So how do we... um, I just recognize there are things I don't know, that I was in a place, a different place a decade ago than I am now, that... I mean, I named it about even my practice. And so my, I'm not above anybody else. I just may have had access to, to healing in a way folks have not. I may have, um, with that access, taken the opportunity to heal. And there's, pr- there's privilege in that. But nonetheless, and there, there are many ways for us to heal. Um, and it's likely someone has pointed out to me, like, your mess is affecting me. Go do your work. That's happened multiple times. So I just want to name that because we're not, even as like spiritual practitioners, we're on the path with everyone else. We're on some path with everyone else. And we may be on a spiritual path with some folks because not everyone's on the spiritual path um, or actively, uh, explicitly on, on the path in that way. I think it's helpful to sort of recognize we're not, even if we've worked on ourselves, we're not above other people um, but we can set boundaries and decide what what do i want in my space right um so that i can transmute some of the mess that's what i would say 
Thank you. Um, and we can transition into questions. Um, and so for our audience, just reminding you, um, if you're on a desktop, you can see the Zoom screen. There's a question and answer um, submission box at the bottom, and you can put your questions into there. Um, and we do have a couple, so I'll, I'll start. Um, one question is, you spoke of slowing down when the path toward uh, went on the path towards collective liberation. Can you speak more on this and maybe guide those of us who are aware and the of the need to do so and to be able to support fellow practitioners when sharing yoga in incarceration. So just talking about um, slowing down when we're on the path. I mean, I think it's, this is um, a great question. I think it is um, tricky because part of what we are responding to as people are urgent concerns and it can be hard to slow down when, you know, the world, as I've said for many years, is on fire in all of the ways. Um, and something I learned 20 years ago is that um, mindfulness is, is key if we're going to be strategic in um, creating conditions for collective liberation. Otherwise, when we're not mindful, we risk replicating the toxic systems that are in the way of our collective liberation. So slowing down feels essential and it's challenging. It's it, many of us are conditioned to move fast. I would say um, to your, the part of your question about fellow practitioners when sharing yoga and incarceration, I've never been incarcerated. So the conditions in, in that space um, are not something I've experienced. And I would imagine are. um, people are probably thinking about how to stay safe, right? How to um, just imagine there's a lot going on and slowing down is not the number one thing folks are thinking about. And conditions may not actually be in place for that to happen, but in the context of your teachings, there is a space where you invite people into mindfulness and pausing even for 30 seconds, right? That there's this way that you invite people into that practice that they can then rely on. Um, at times when things are moving very fast around them and when they are um, under siege or um, experiencing harm, um, which of course the carceral system is, is set up in, in that way. It's not necessarily about freedom, right? But how do we find freedom within that context and really any context we're in? Um, so that, I would just say mind, it's, it's key, like clearly moving, moving fast, without strategy and awareness has gotten us into a big old mess. And so to me, and many people speak about that, that suggests we actually need to practice something different, which is why I spoke about, about um, slowing down and the way I was speaking about it actually was related to my, how my actions affect everything and everyone. And in that way, I'm connected to everything and everyone. And when I remember that, when I'm in that space of consciousness that calls me into, to, acting a different way, which I think is a really useful lesson for us all. Um, and, and likely something that's central to the work that you all do. So thank you, Julianne, for your question. Thank you. And then earlier, um, we actually had this question in the chat. Um, Michelle, how would you address when a racial situation is so uncomfortable for someone else 
that to avoid having that person be uncomfortable, I have completely spiritually bypassed the situation in person. Any advice to reconcile this? Um, I, there are two, a couple of things I'll say about this. One is that, um, in my experience, everything is racialized because we are racialized beings. So um, I am um, a black person. That's not the only identity I embody. And it's not, um, I'm not limited to my blackness, but we're in a, we're in a, um, I've only been in the U S but I would say that colonization and, and um, segregation and racism have affected the whole of the, the planet um, and, and every part of the planet um, that we are, we are racialized. White bodied people are racialized. So I say that because I think every situation is racialized. Do I think every situation is, um, is sort of centered on race? No, but I do think every situation, I think at racial racialized, um, because we're racialized, race is going to be present in every situation in some way when we bring ourselves into it. I would say this about other identities too. So I just want to sort of, for for other folks and, and Wendy, level set in that way, it's always present. Um, you know, classism is always present, our class status, even when we're not talking about it. Whether or not we're citizens um, or refugees, always present whether or not we've been incarcerated or not, always are affected by incarceration or the carceral system, always present. And your specific question is about what, you know, bypassing because you don't want to bring up more discomfort for the person who may have been harmed by whatever um, situation has happened in a racialized space. That's how I read your question. And I think it's tricky. There's not one answer to this because it depends on relationship. Are you in relationship with the person who caused the harm? Are you in relationship with the person who's experienced the harm? Um, are you in a group with people or is it just the three of y'all in that space? Uh, how is power playing out in that space? Are you in charge of, the, um, I don't know, Wendy, what context you're talking about, but are you in charge of the meeting? Are you and are you in charge of the organization? Or um, could you lose your job for speaking up or could the other person be more deeply impacted who's experienced the harm and experienced more harm by speaking up in that context? So it's, it's complex. Um, and with that, if you don't say something in the moment, you could say something later. The pattern though, is that the person who's experienced the harm often is not attended to. They are left and abandoned and the person who's caused the harm is attended to, called in, called out, um, and the person who's experienced harm is, is sitting there, um, in their, doing whatever they can do to manage their nervous system, I would say, from experience. And I think there's a way that we can speak about what's happening in the moment from our own experience. So, Wendy, if there is a person who has, has said something that is racist or has caused harm and is racialized, you often what I will do from my own experience when I am calling in someone who um, has caused harm is I will speak from the spaces where I cause harm too. And I will give an example of it. Um, I don't always do this. It depends on all the factors I named, but I will give an example of it to use myself 
as somebody to say, I cause harm to you. And in these situations, when this happens, whatever happened, um, this is, this is how I might respond to it. The other thing that I'll do in spaces is say something just happened. Um, is this a space where we can talk about it or do we need to talk about it in some other, some other space? So I, I didn't directly answer your question because I think it's it's just nuanced. But I do think what we know is that people have bypassed talking about the truth of how racism and white supremacy affect us all, but differently. That there's been a complete bypass of that in spiritual spaces that are talking about liberation. And there's no way to get free if we're going to bypass the reality we're in. People rush to transcend the reality, and we can't actually do that. We have to deal with this context and reality. So I would. I would also say, assume that's part of the landscape. Like the history is that people bypass the truth. So how do we get closer to the truth, which obviously the practice of yoga teaches us and talks to us about. Um, and, and, and with that, I would also say, to me, it makes sense to intervene because there's been such a practice of bypassing um, that we need to build the muscle of intervention and disruption. So that was a long answer. That's what I'll, what I'll name. Thank you. And I think that is going to be beneficial for everyone on this call to hear. Um, listening or supporting um, and figuring out what the situation calls for, the unique situation. Um, yeah, and that uh, we have one other question. Um, and then please, oh, good, we have two more. Um, but this was kind of my tie-in for the overwhelm as well um, and the current state of um, just a continuation of erasure of history um, and how we continue to build upon a false narrative, really, of this country. Um, I don't really have necessarily a question to it, but just wanted to, to bring it to the space. Um, that uh, dominant culture continues to want to erase and retell history. Yeah. Um, and maybe this question ties in there. Um, so uh, Rob, I teach yoga at a downtown jail in Minneapolis and men are relieved to get out of their cells and they're also appreciative of this class. I also teach at a halfway house where men have a taste of freedom and so few take advantage of this free class. Yoga has a bad rap um, in toxic men culture. Uh, and he's offering, maybe we should call it men's mindfulness movement. Um, but maybe I asked if he had a specific question relating to the statement. Um, but maybe you want to talk about uh, toxic masculinity in yoga or spiritual communities, or how to address toxic masculinity. I mean, there are so many ways to go with this. Thank you, Rob, with this question. And I also am reading the question, see the difference in um, the the places you mentioned where you're teaching that in one place, folks are like appreciative to get to class and another where there's a little more freedom, where they aren't as controlled, I would say, and time and space is not as controlled. They don't take advantage of this free class as much. And what you named about that dynamic of um, what yoga how yoga has been presented um, and 
who it's for, I think is part of what you're speaking to our conditioning around who yoga is for. What does a yoga practitioner look like? What is the benefit of yoga? Part of this is because of how yoga has been presented as, as movement and asana only, um, and not as more than that. And, um, I think, I mean, we're in a, um, we have been, we're in a, a time where more people are talking about toxic masculinity, but also in a patriarchal culture and, um, where male identified folks are, are conditioned to, um, operate in certain ways, which the way yoga has been presented may not actually align with the conditioning, um, experienced by male identified folks. So I would say that you can, you can call it you can call it what you want to call it if it's men's mindful movement or something else. I think more of it is about what is yoga and how does it benefit? Um, and I also think it's about how does it benefit us all, but specifically to your audience, how might it, the folks you're teaching, how might it benefit them? Um, and I also think it comes through experience. Like, um, people have to experience this from an embodied place to understand the benefits of it. So I think it's both expressing what they are and also guiding people into that and um, teaching to who's there, right? Teaching to, to what we were speaking about earlier, who's there, what's there, what's being called for, what's needed. Um, having a conversation about, you could have a conversation about conditioning, about masculinity, about, messages you could use any of those words depending on the group right people have internalized about it, what it means to be them and how then that affects their um connection with this practice of of yoga um there are a lot of ways to go but that's what i would say about about your um question thank you and then we have one last question and then i want to give you the floor michelle to to speak to anything that hasn't been brought up today. Uh, but our last question is, um, I'm curious to know if and how skill and action has been shared or taught to teenagers. And if it hasn't, how would you recommend introducing this to teens in detention? Um, I am not sure if it's, it's not, um, uh, it's not specific. I, I don't know if teenagers are reading this, but what I would say is that it's content that I believe many teenagers could read in the sense of like, not just read it, but understand it and work with the different concepts and the practices in it. I think it, it would resonate. Um, I'm not a teenager, but I do think it would, it would resonate. I've worked with many teenagers. I think it would resonate. And certainly the themes um, in this space you're in, like just um, sort of nature of discomfort and how we respond to it. Um, it is skills-based, right? And so what does it mean to be skillful at this time? What does it mean to um, move in the world with our different identities? And how does that match our own understanding of who we are? Um, what does collective liberation mean? What does it mean to be in service of something bigger? Um, what, what does it look like to build awareness or deepen awareness of what is happening inside and what is happening outside of us, the inner and outer world, right? Our experience. And what's the relationship between the two? Those are just some of the themes, but 
I think you could bring all of those into the teaching you're doing into movement practice, into meditation, into conversation, into journey, like self-study as well and conversation. Um, so I think it's applicable for sure. And it would just be you taking the theme and thinking about how it resonates for you if it does and how you would teach it then to the teens that you're teaching you because you know them, right? And you know the context they're in as well. So what can you bring in and um, what is okay to bring in? But I feel like the concepts apply for sure. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I want to do two more things. I want you to offer anything that hasn't been said. And then I also want you to share with our audience all of the ways that we can find you and um, read more of your books. But yeah, is there anything that hasn't been said in this conversation or anything that you want to speak to our community directly? Um, yeah, about this work or the work that we might offer as well? Yeah, just um, gratitude for the community and for the work you all do and for being here today. Um, and I I do, it's bringing me back to what we spoke about with Collective Liberation earlier, that I do believe, um, and this is actually an old assumption, and those of you who are familiar with skill in action, there's a list of assumptions. And then the work that I do, it's like beliefs that we bring into the work. There's an assumption that we used to share in dismantling racism trainings that we it's we have what we need. We already have what we need. And I I feel like that um feels connected to that seed of collective liberation having been planted long ago and us already being on the path. And I think it also speaks to the skills we employ at this time. So so yes, we want to continue to raise consciousness, but we're not waiting to arrive. Like we're in the process and employing the skills to meet this moment so that we can feel um, this collective and experience collective liberation. That's what I'd offer. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time for being with us here today. I know people in the chat are already excited to listen to the recording. I'm also excited to go back and listen to the recording already. Um, but I'm going to drop your website in here too. I know that we did have a couple questions about any trainings or how people can work with you more. Will you tell us about any upcoming offerings that you have um, or anything that you want to share with our community? Yeah, thank you. Um, so my website is the best um, way to sort of know what's coming up, the events page and events and workshops. It's updated regularly as things are scheduled. And um, I'm also on Instagram um, at Skill in Action. You can find me there. And I post about things that are coming up, but also post pictures of my dog Jasper and a lot of nature. Um, and I'm a beekeeper, so a lot of bees um, as well. And yeah, that's a whole other conversation, but it feels very connected to liberation and the ecosystem and the hive. And it, there's, it's in Finding Refuge, my um, second book that came out in July of 2021. There's an entire chapter about the honeybees and, and the, the hive and how we care for each other, which feels related to our conversation. So on the website, there's information about the, thanks Wambui, about the um, second edition of Skill in Action, which I will just say is, if you've read the first edition, awesome. And the second edition came out in November of 2021. And it is, it is not, I mean, it's expanded like 120 pages. It's not just, I updated a few things. It's like, it, it feels like a different book with the same themes. Um, 
and much deeper practice. Um, so you can find that and finding refuge there. And soon you will find my next book, which comes out in April um, of 2023, We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. There'll be a link to that soon. But for now, you can find that um, at Penguin Random House um, or it's it's on Amazon. It's on indie books. It's on a, a lot of different places. We're building the website for my page right now for We Heal Together. So you could just search We Heal Together and Michelle Johnson if you want to pre-order that. Um, and soon there'll be some pre-order incentives as well. And I have a lot of workshops coming up in person and online focused on finding refuge, um, focused on grief, um, ritual, um, and and skill in action as well. So again, all of that's on the, the website. And that's the way to, to stay in touch. And my newsletter, that's the other thing. You can sign up for the newsletter there and um, and learn more about me and musings and then events as well. Thank you so much for taking the time today to meet with us. And I know that I had also contacted you when you were um, on sabbatical. So thank you for making it happen, even though you were um, in a restful space, still wanting to connect. So thank you so much for being here. I know it meant so much to our community. Um, and it meant a lot to me and I know our leadership, we were so excited to have you and host you. Um, this was such a beautiful and benefiting conversation. So thank you so much for being here. We will continue to update our audience on any of the trainings and offerings that you have. Um, I'm also looking forward to reading more of your books. It sounds like there's a fourth book coming out now too that you're working on writing. So hopefully we'll be able to have you back. Um, I would love to have a conversation, um, a longer one about collective grief. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reading Finding Refuge. But again, thank you so much to our community for being here and witnessing this conversation. And of course, thank you so much, Michelle for your work um, and really this path that you've been carving in the yoga world. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to be here.